Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I want to talk about a ripoff in just a second. Our websites are Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And I have a special ripoff alert for you right now. This is a Clark Howard ripoff alert. Everywhere you turn right now in the investment industry, investment houses that were doing the right thing about disclosing to you how people were paid and whether people were taking kickbacks and whether people were being um, incentivized to sell really junky stuff to you or being forced by a full commission brokerage house to sell you junk. All those new procedures and rules and disclosures that were put in place are vanishing right before your eyes. I told you months ago about what was going on at a website that had been popular with consumers, letsmakeaplan.org, that now Jason Zweig, the financial writer, says they have discontinued disclosing to consumers how people get paid that are on their site. So you don't know who's getting kickbacks. You don't know who's taking commissions, who's putting you in stuff that might be junk for you just because of what they're making. This is a terrible, terrible problem for you as a consumer. A lot of us uh, don't really understand how the whole investing thing works behind the curtain. But what you should know is there are a lot of people in the business who – Don't do the right thing by you. They may be very nice people, very personable, but when it comes to money, a lot of times somebody will smile at you and they're picking your pocket at the same time. What you need to know is that when you are getting financial advice from somebody on what you should invest in, if they are not a fiduciary, you are at risk. Fiduciary is somebody who legally is bound to put your interests first, that what they sell you, recommend that you invest in, they're not getting commissions from. They are only doing what they believe is right for you. Know that if you're getting investment advice from an insurance agent, that they are not going to put your interests first. If you're getting investment advice from a full commission stockbroker, they are not going to put your interests first. If you're getting advice on what to invest from an investment part of a big bank, they are not going to put you first. If you hire an individual from a firm, they need to disclose to you how they make their money. If they make money for recommending something or they get to take the trip to Hawaii for how many people they sold this, that, or the other to, They're not putting you first. It's best to pay for advice straight out and then deal with somebody who receives no commissions for anything they advise you to. I ask people over and over again when somebody calls me asking about investing, well, are you paying that person for advice or how do you... How's that person getting paid by you? Or have they told you they're a fiduciary? And 
virtually 100% of the time, people say, I don't know. You need to know. Because you're working hard for the money you have. You're working hard to live on less than what you make. And the money you have to invest needs to be working for you, for your future, not for that person's future who puts you in something so they get to go on the fly fishing trip. Eric's with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Eric, understand you are no longer a rookie entrepreneur. You're moving on with your business at this point. Uh, yeah, it's effective March 1st of this year. I uh, uh, passed my first year as a small business owner. Well, congratulations to you. And if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you know how excited I am by anyone taking the plunge of being an entrepreneur or owning their own business. Yes. It so, comes with its up and downs. How How is it generally, though? Is it more up than down? Definitely more up than down. Um, I, I feel like I'm in a really good position right now. Great. I am actually a captive insurance agent. Just finished my first year, so I'm working on getting renewals built up and things of that nature. I have about sixty-five dollars to $67,000 in business debt that I still have accumulated and, and it's just kind of a burden. Like it, it's the biggest part that I, that I don't like about it. It's on a single pay note and it comes due this December. And it's just, so I'm not making monthly payments. I'm really trying to build a little bit of a cash flow to see what I can get going. Cause I spent all last year paying off additional funds as well. So my, my question is I have about $32,000 of cash available to me. If I was to cash in old retirement funds, is it feasible for me to use that money to pay off a large portion of the business debt or just keep it where it's at and I'm no longer contributing to anything right now as it is. Yeah, I would rather you not liquidate retirement money because you've got the enormous tax penalties if you do so. Mm -hmm. You know, and the effective that people usually pay is somewhere around 43% in tax on liquidating money that's in a qualified retirement plan liquidating before age 59 and a half. It is under a Roth 401k. So if it is Roth money, you would have no tax due on it for contributions you have made. Now, it's Roth 401k, not Roth IRA? Uh, it's, it's a Roth 401k. It was through a previous employer, and they gave us the option to have the traditional 401k or a Roth 401k. Um, I chose the Roth, and what I could see, uh, I'm not big on these numbers, but I think the taxable amount is only, I, th I think maybe 12 or something thousand of it is, is what's taxable. The rest of it was contribution, so it came out to be about well, about $8,000 in total taxes once it's said and done and taken. So you could use that money to pay down this debt, then it means you've got no savings at all for your for your future. Now, yeah. you'd have the ability, as you build your book of business, to start putting substantial money aside. As a business owner, you've got much more flexibility about how much money you can put aside each year. So that brings to the core question, what interest rate does this single payment loan carry? Uh, right now, I think it's at seven and a quarter. Seven and a quarter on a business loan for a year is not terrible. Are you going to be able to come up with the money you're going to need to pay off this note at the end of the year? That's my biggest concern right now is, and it's 
the note is actually rolled over from last year, uh, from, from day one of the business through uh, like maybe three or four months whenever I started generating enough cash flow to run the business and start paying back. I accumulated about $77,000. I got it paid down to $24,000 last year, but it, I was, it, that came with making a large lump sum payment at the very end and then having to rewrite the note and then take additional funds out just to run the business. Huh. Then in that case, I don't want you to liquidate your Roth 401k. Okay. I want you to just work on within the core of the business itself, seeing if you can build up enough cash flow that you can substantially reduce this at the end of the year. You've got a lot of yeah. months left this year, and I'd like you to devote your time to coming up with how much money you're going to have free cash flow each month that you can reduce it down. I'd hate for you to get into a position where you wipe out that 401k, which is like the last resource you've got. And I don't want you to end up in a bind later where you can't make a payment and you go insolvent because you wiped out your last thing you had voluntarily. Yeah. I'd like you to hold that in reserve. Okay. That makes sense. So I wish you great success building up your book of business. Becoming a captive agent, as you probably heard from people in the business, the first many years you work really hard to build up that book of business, and then that book of business starts to help carry you, and uh, the the eventual effect is you're making a decent net income. It just you got to get through this first phase. And I will butcher your name, Sioned? It's Seaned, but Shawn don't worry Ed. about it. Oh, come on. <laughs> I would have never figured that out. Seaned, um, okay. Yeah, I'm so used to it. Don't worry. And your name gets misspelled all the time too, right? Yep, but it's all good. Okay. Well, how can I be of service to you today? Um, well, I submitted a question to your team a little while ago, and um, it was, I've been renting for a few years, and I'm weighing whether or not I should buy a house, and I have enough saved up for 20% down, I have excellent credit and all that jazz, but I'm not sure um, if I'm going to be in um, Anchorage for the next, for more than the next couple of years, and so I'm wondering, is it smart to buy a house, and um, maybe risk uh, losing money if I leave in a couple of years, or do I let my down payment collect dust in the bank account and continue to rent? Yeah, this is a hard one because, you know, there are a lot of expenses involved in buying and selling a property. And when you look at a window as short as two to five years, let's say that five was the longest you'd be there. I'm just making a guess based on what you said. Um mm-hmm. You don't know which way real estate values go in the shorter term. You don't know what happens with the economy. And then real estate values tend to trend somewhat with overall uh, economic conditions. So I would say that buying a home where you could be gone in as soon as two years from that home would be too high a risk level and too high of expense in and out. I mean, if you told me you had a viable plan for continuing to rent the property 
after you uh, moved back to the lower 48, then I'd say you could make it work because you wouldn't be under a time deadline to sell the property. But if your intention would be to bail on the property at the time you choose to leave, I would be a renter and just know if values go up crazy over the next two years, you're going to hate me. But the odds are that the the risk is just too high in such a short window. Okay, that's great advice. And actually, renting is something that we had considered, like renting out the property, um, just so we could have um, hold, held on to it for a bit more. But interest rates are so great right now with the coronavirus. Right, right. right. So it's so tempting. So as long as you have a viable plan for somebody to manage the property and rent it, and you'll have to, in order to have somebody who's really going to do a good job, you got to pay them. Mm-hmm. If you can come up with a viable plan where you still are able to see your way to the property being a revenue producer for you at the time you move to the lower 48, I'd say that you could buy with some confidence because if the market is okay in two to five years, you can just bail and sell. If it's not okay, you can become a landlord for the period of time necessary. All right, cool. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, good luck to you. Where do you, where do you think you'll move? Are you going to be someone who moves from, last caller I had who moved from Alaska moved to Florida, <laughs> which was oh, as opposite well, as you yeah, could be. So I live in uh, Alaska right now. My fiance is sick of the winter, so we might have to move a little bit further south. I get that. I get that. Winter is not my thing. Grace on our social media team sent me a picture message this past weekend when she and her husband were at Costco, and they obviously hate themselves that they were at Costco on the weekend because it's so unbelievably crowded at Costco on the weekend. But anyway, she sent me this picture showing that they had um, the, the various sanitation wipes, what do you call those, disinfecting wipes, on the end of the aisle, end cap, aisle after aisle after aisle. And then the sign gave the price, no extra markup on it. But then it said, limit five per member. Because people were buying entire pallets of them, and they had to impose limits. And so there's a tendency when we're in a time of uncertainty, like we are right now, that people tend to hoard. And you see all those store shelves with... No, um, none of the antibacterial stuff, um, you know, the hand sanitizer, all these products that have vanished. And of all things, toilet paper, that there's been a run on toilet paper around the country. Um, Not sure why that became an item. Not sure why in the south and southwest, every time there's a forecast of snow, people run out and buy every loaf of bread and every gallon of milk that they can find, but that's what people do. So please think through what do you actually need, and we need to be good members of our community and make sure that there's enough of those things for everyone, and being a hoarder creates false shortages that don't have to be there. So manufacturers catch up. Uh, supplies, inventories, restore, and retail, and then you'll be staring at your thousand rolls of toilet paper and your endless supply of 
you know, antiseptic wipes and all that stuff. And what are you going to do with all that stuff you're hoarding? Are you then going to have an eBay sale on it? (laughs) So just think before you buy too much. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites. And just think about this. When you go to a website, anybody's website, do you know that the cable monopoly, or if you get your internet connection from a phone monopoly, that they are spying on everything you're doing? This was something that I don't think people were really aware of till the cable monopoly started fighting new regulations that would restrict them being able to spy on you and what you're up to and then market that information, sell it to others. That is really creepy. That Because it's different to me than if you decide to use Google or not use Google and know that Google gives you all those things for free in return for packaging and selling information about you. The problem is most of us in the United States are prisoners of a monopoly Internet provider, usually the cable monopoly. And so we're paying them a huge amount of money to have Internet access. And then on top of it, they're spying on everything we do and selling it off. I mean, Google, at least, now has the new procedure on your phone or on your laptop or desktop where you can see what they're collecting on you, delete a lot of it, and set up where information automatically deletes that they normally collect on you. In the case of the cable companies, we didn't know how ugly this was till Maine, which passed a law requiring privacy from the spying eyes of the cable monopolies. Maine is being sued by the cable monopolies who want them to be able to continue to spy on you as much as they want. And, in fact, the cable monopolies allege that Maine is discriminating against them being able to not be able to spy on you. That it represents discrimination. So, ridiculous. So, coming to the rescue is Firefox. Firefox has developed a new encrypted form of use of Firefox that if you read any of the technology blogs, a lot of them are writing about this in simple English, believe it or not, where you can see how this will work, that you just use Firefox's encrypted service that is free, and you will cut off almost all the spying the cable monopolies are doing on you. I mean, imagine... A cable monopoly you're paying money to, knowing every site you go to and what you do on that site. A number of people go to uh, websites that are sensitive about medical conditions, or maybe they like um, certain entertainment sites. Use your imagination. And do you want your cable monopoly that you had no choice, you have to use them for Internet, 
being free to spy on you. Why we even allow this kind of stuff in the United States is a sign of the corruption in Congress that the people who give the money end up getting what they want. So you can defeat their lobbying power, their money they spread around to politicians, by using the features of the Firefox encrypted browser, and you will be able to surf around in relative uh, privacy, somewhat, (laughs) a lot more privacy than you have today. And it is unfortunate that the people who said forever ago, who seemed like complete crazies, that the only way for you to have privacy in your life is to carry no technology at all and separate from the grid. That's not how I want to live my life, but it turned out that they were not crazy. They were actually right, and that's how it's playing out. Kate's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kate. Hi, Clark. Kate, how's things going for you? Things are good. My husband and I love listening to your show, and we have implemented uh, lots of your advice, um, and that's been very helpful for us. I'm so glad. Well, how can I serve you since things seem to be going well for you? <laughs> so um, my husband and I have been very blessed to have well-paying jobs, so we've been able to save a lot of money. Um, up until now, we were saving for various large-ticket expenses like car, wedding, and house, but now we've achieved those goals. We now just have a lot of money just sitting in the bank. So Wait, wait, wait. Did you pay cash for your house? No, just the down payment. Oh, but, <laughs> the way you um, said that, I was like, yeah, so we saved up. We first bought no. this house. <laughs> I wish. I yeah. wish. No, we're not that good. Okay. <laughs> Um, but now we have this money sitting in the bank, and I don't know what to do with it because it kind of feels like we're uh, losing money since the interest rates are so low. But with all the craziness in the market, I don't know that I want to put it there right now either. Well, so it depends on what with. your next series of goals are and how long-term they are. So you probably, if you've listened for a long time, you probably heard my obsession with Roth IRAs. Mm-hmm. Are you doing Roths right now? Um, so we're both maxing out our 401ks, but um, not Roth because of our income level. All right. So that's a good problem to have. You make too much money to do a Roth easily. You can do a really weird way of doing a Roth called a backdoor Roth, which requires mm-hmm. a little extra work from you. But what that made me think of is that what you're doing with your 401ks is you're putting money in systematically, maxing those out putting money in either every pay period or once a month, they put money in there for you. So you're just riding with the market over time, something known as dollar cost averaging, where you're not, hopefully you're really not freaking out about what happens with the market right now or next month or next year. You're in this for the long term. And the good thing with dollar cost averaging is when the market declines, Every dollar you're putting in through that 401k buys you more shares of what you're putting your money into. And so a decline over the long haul actually makes you more money, which is weird to think about, isn't it? Yeah. So the money you have that's sitting here in savings, when is it that you would be using the money? What would be the purpose now that you've met those goals that you had? 
So that's the thing. I don't really know. We don't really have another big purchase on the horizon. So I think it would be a longer term. Right. Are you in a 15 or 30 year mortgage? 30 year. Okay. So when I think about someone like you who's already maxing out saving for retirement, you have excess funds and I gather you live below your means and you continue to build savings, it would be potentially a great move for you to invest in a whole different way, which isn't really investing, but kick out that 30-year you have and take advantage of the depressed rates now and refi into a 15-year loan. Okay. What's your 30-year rate? Well, that's the thing. We just bought in November, so 3.5%. That's pretty low. Yeah, but you can actually go uh, potentially now, let me see, into the mid-twos, I guess? In, oh, well, okay. In a 15-year, and think about that. I mean, you you are a very methodical saver. You're very careful. You'd be, you'd be soaking up some of the excess funds you have every month and be out of debt instead of in 2015. 49, you'd be out of debt in 2035. That sounds much better, yeah. (laughs) So thinking about your picture, keep money in the best you can do online savings accounts or online CDs, so you have that Mm -hmm. reserve, but soak up some of it by doing that refi. You could even take some of the cash and pay down some of the balance when you refi so your payment doesn't go up a whole lot but you cut 14 years off your loan. Okay, thanks. So, I hadn't thought about that. I didn't either till we were talking through and I was hearing the reluctance on your part of doing more investing of any kind. And I was thinking about there you were, you, were, you saved that money for the car, you saved that money for the various needs in your life. Maybe the best thing is to re- reduce your debt on a quicker track and lock in that lower rate. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, be patient. The lenders are really busy right now, and you're not always but generally going to find your best refi rate and costs at a credit union. Are you a member of any credit unions right now? I am not, um, but we had done our original um, uh, mortgage with a VA loan. So would that be the similar like we just do it through the same Lender, so uh, you might a- you might not need to use a VA loan for the refi. You could. I mean, you avoid a fair amount of the closing costs if you refi a VA loan. Mm-hmm. So that may be the track. You'll just have to compare that to what you're able to do with a conventional loan refi as an alternative. Willie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Willie. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Willie. So you want to talk about my cancer, is that right? Yeah. A while ago you shared that you had prostate cancer for about uh, 13 years, I think you had indicated. And I was wondering how you came to the decision to just have it monitored rather than having any surgery or anything. So it was based on a lot of research that I read in uh, particularly British medical journals because they were ahead of us on this. But today it's very mainstream in the United States to do what I've done these years, known as active surveillance. Right, so, right, right. So now there are these um, 
much more sophisticated tools than existed when I was diagnosed um, in 2007 or 8. It slips my mind which year it was I was diagnosed. But today you can have a uh, special type of MRI where they're able to image your cancer and get a really good reading about whether or not you have what might be a dangerous, life-threatening cancer or whether you have one that is likely a slow-growing. And a very large percent of men with prostate cancer would be good candidates for going through active surveillance. And what that is is that's a schedule, regular schedule of tests you do in order to see that your cancer's just hanging out there and not growing, so different than most cancers, and that um, here I've been at this for 12 or 13 years, and my cancer has shown basically no growth in that time. So I have cancer, but it means nothing to this point. Yeah, because at this point, I just have, like, elevated PSA level, and the doctors want to me to take another blood test in eight weeks because one thing you know they didn't tell me was that prior to taking your blood test you shouldn't do any vigorous exercise and I'm kind of an exercise junkie even though I'm 64 years old I mean I work out every single day and in fact I had to get rid of Are my you and I brothers or something because you know I'm obsessed <laughs> with exercise too but, yeah, I had to really get rid of my Fitbit because I became a slave to it. Literally, I was, you know, 18 to 20,000 steps I average every single day, seven days a week. And sometimes, you know, one or two times a week, I may even get 30,000. So it was crazy. We are I, the same person, I'm hearing. <laughs> so today, to today my fitness it. tracker says it wants me to do 16,510 steps. But, you know, I I had 15,000 steps in by 7 o'clock in the morning every day because I'd get up at (gasps) 2.30, stretch, and from 3 to 5, you know, I'd walk a couple hours, then go to the gym, work out 45 minutes on the weight, and then I'd do an hour and a half on the elliptical machine. Well, well, let me tell you, you're, you're obviously taking very good health care of yourself and good health generally. That makes you even more of a potential candidate for active surveillance. Before you're pushed too far along to maybe down the road having some kind of treatment, which may be appropriate for you, may not, please go read the information available on the website PCF.org, Prostate Cancer Foundation, PCF.org. Read our information on um, who's a suitable candidate for active surveillance, what you need to know about a diagnosis of prostate cancer, and the ways of diagnosing. If all you have is an elevated PSA, you don't even have known prostate cancer yet. So you're a long way from anything you need to be too afraid of. And the more you read that's reputable stuff, the more you'll know how to make proper decisions. And if you get a diagnosis of prostate cancer, you want to dial me back, and we can talk through what you found. Remember, I'm not a medical professional. I've just had a lot of experience with this. I can be a sounding board for you. Tommy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tommy. How's it going? Good. How about you, sir? 
great. Thank you. Tommy, you've gotten something. You want to know if it's a scam or not. Tell me about it. Uh, I've been receiving emails uh, about TurboTax. Is a legit lawyer. Actually, I got one today, and I just wanted to see if it's legit. Uh, they said you could uh, – something about the free. They said it was free, and they said you could sue if, it, uh, if you were paying for TurboTax. So there are a number of lawsuits that have been filed, class action, against TurboTax for um, allegedly taking advantage of taxpayers that were eligible for the IRS free file program. And TurboTax knew, based on the information you put on your return, that you were eligible for free file, but allegedly did not disclose that. And so you paid for filing your taxes for free. You paid for filing your taxes when you could have done so for free. That's the allegations of the lawsuits. So they're trying to solicit people to be members of the class, because I'm not aware there's a settlement yet. It's only a lawsuit at this point. Right. It's a class action lawsuit. I've been getting emails. So uh, you can just sit on the sidelines and wait to see how it plays out, or you can decide whether or not you want to join one. Um, I never join, as a general rule, I never join class action lawsuits, but there are times that I'll end up getting like 42 cents from one or something. Exactly. (laughs) So you, you can do with it what you want. The important thing for you and all other taxpayers to know is that most taxpayers qualify for free federal and potentially free state income tax preparation and filing just by going to irs.gov and clicking on free file. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.